Good morning. I'd invite you to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Appreciate the reading of the word Justin just gave us. We're continuing our parade through the Hall of Faith. All of these great folks that we see here in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. We now come to uh, Abraham, a man who is described in the book of Romans as the father of all of those who have faith. Uh, in the words of uh, the old football commentator, Keith Jackson, he would have said he's the granddaddy of them all, Abraham. In the New Testament, uh, he is the ultimate expression of what it means to have faith. The Bible says he trusted God, he was a friend of God, he believed God, and that was credited to him as righteousness. So there are three events, three incidents in the life from Abraham that are woven into the next few verses here in chapter 11. Verse 8 that Justin just read to us, by faith. Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. So turn, if you will, to Genesis chapter 12. This is where we find the call of Abram. We know him as Abraham. This gives us a little context. In Genesis chapter 12, You'll see there probably in the heading of your Bible, it says, The Call of Abram. The Word of the Lord. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. He says, Leave all these things. Leave your family. Leave the things around you. Go, and then there he talks about these blessings that will happen. And then in verse 4, it says, So Abram left as the Lord had told him. So Abram left just as the Lord had told them. God said to him, Go. I want you to go. I want you to leave everything behind that represents security to you. I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your people. I don't want us to skim over that too quickly this morning. Many of you here uh, this morning are surrounded by family, by people uh, that you know and that you love, by friends, people that support you. We live in a very mobile society these days. People travel all over the world, all over the country. People move. But it seems that even as mobile as we are, we tend to gravitate back towards that which is familiar to us. Oftentimes, maybe a, a young man or a woman will go to college and maybe they'll take a job somewhere else. But after a few years, or maybe when they start a family, they want to be close to mom and dad. Or maybe you've lived out for a while and your parents are getting older and so you feel like it's time to come back home to be close to your family. We know that. We understand that. We insulate ourselves 
with people that we know in our family, people that we love, sort of an infrastructure, things that are familiar and secure. And the Lord, in that context, he comes to Abram and he says, I want you to leave all of that. I want you to leave all of that behind. And where you are going is not as important at this moment as just the fact I want you to get up and I want you to go. Abram left as the Lord had told him. Why would anyone do that? Why would someone do that? He had nothing to go on except the command of God and the promises of God. But for Abram, that was enough. That was enough. That is faith. And that is faith in every situation, in every generation. The command of God, the promises of God, and then taking that step of obedience. If God calls an individual, or if God calls a church or a faith community to go forward, whatever that looks like, I, mean, I don't know what exactly that might look like, but if God calls an individual or a church to go forward, if we refuse to go forward, we don't stay where we are. We actually go backwards. A refusal to go forward to where God is asking, to where God is leading, is actually a step backwards. It's a step in the wrong direction. If God calls us to go and we say, no, no, I'm, I'm happy where I am. I, I, I kind of like where I am. I kind of like my situation. Been working hard, trying to build up my retirement, trying to, you know, fit in in this situation with the people that I love. I'm, I'm happy right here. Then we're kidding ourselves that we'll just stay where we are. You never just stay where you are. In the words of uh, Tommy Shaw, you're fooling yourself if you don't believe it. You're kidding yourself if you don't believe it. So firstly, in regard to Abraham, we see this, this faith in action, if you will, this faith that is on the move. He will uh, discover that the best place to be is where God wants you to be. The best place that you can be is where God wants you to be. That's, that's the one hand. On the other hand, Oftentimes, there is no ideal place. God just wants to know, will you serve me? Will you serve me in this place? Oftentimes, it's sort of like a dog chasing his tail. And I've done this in my own life many times. I begin to pray about something, an opportunity comes comes about, maybe to make a move or to, uh, to transfer somewhere else, and you begin to pray, oh God, you know, give me... Give me a sign. Help me to understand if, if I should stay or should I go. Should I stay or should I go now? And so we begin to pray. And God maybe even sends a sign. Something happens. And then all of a sudden you think, well, how do I interpret it? Does that mean I should, should stay and persevere? Or should I, you know, is God telling me, hey, it's time to go? And so we begin to just kind of like a dog chasing his tail round and round and round. And listen to me. I do believe we ought to pray about it. 
I do believe we ought to ask God, God, where do you want me? There may be a specific place in this time, in this moment in history that God wants you to be. But oftentimes, listen to me, oftentimes, this is, this is my word, not, not the Lord's, I don't really know if it matters to God where we go, what career path we choose, what school we attend, whether we marry, whether we don't, whether we postpone children or whether we haven't. I don't know if that matters to God as much as God just wants to know, will you be my man where you are? Will you be my woman where you are, right here and right now? But God told Abram to get up and to move. And so, God, so Abram did. He told him he was going to make him a great nation. He was going to give him a great name. And he was going to shower him with a great blessing. And exactly what that would look like, Abraham had no clue. Abraham had no clue when God called him what that was going to look like. We can only marvel at his faith and at his obedience. An obedience that changed the course of his life. And I'm going to tell you what, obedience will always change the course of your life. It'll change it for the better, but it will not stay the same. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. In a very real sense, the one word that might now characterize Abraham's life is temporary. Temporary. How many of you like to go camping? Anybody like to go camping? Now, I'm not talking about backing up your truck to a fifth wheel, okay? Okay, Steve, I know, I know what you're thinking. Yeah, I love to go camping. If it's got a, a comfortable bed and a shower and a kitchen and a microwave, that's not camping. That's called glamping. That's, that's luxury camping. When you get in the, in the, in a big old um, RV that's the size of a trail hound, you know, a, a trailway bus, and, and there's two of you to take up that. That's not camping. That's glamping. But, but some of you, how many of you actually like pitching a tent and sleeping out in a, uh, on the ground, some of you? Some of you maybe used to like it. I think, it's, I think camping is a young person's thing. When, when your hip starts kind of, you know, in your shoulder. But um, years ago, Paula and I, when we were in Oklahoma City, we took a group of middle schoolers camping. Now, the, the problem with that sentence, there's two things wrong with that sentence. Middle schoolers, camping. Those two things are, what were we thinking? As, as I look back and I think, what were we thinking? We took a group of uh, middle schoolers to Palo Duro Canyon. Anybody ever heard of that? You know where that is? Palo Duro Canyon? It's the second largest canyon in the United States. Second only to the Grand Canyon. 
but it looks like a miniature Grand Canyon. It's in the panhandle of Texas, in Canyon, Texas. We were living in Oklahoma City at the time. We decided we were going to take our middle schoolers on this, on this little retreat, and we did. And so we go to Palo Duro, and that day um, we, we had lined up a horseback riding. So we got all the kids, and they put us on these horses. Uh, it was very memorable for some of the kids, the first time they'd ever been on a horse. And um, you're not really riding the horse. You're not really telling the horse where to go. He just goes. He just follows the leader. I mean, they've done it so many times. They're so trained. The guy uh, gets you on the horse, and he takes off leading. And your horse is going to go where it is going to go. You could try to turn him, but he's going to stay on that path. But our kids were just riding and riding, and they had the best of times. That night, we had put our tents up, and you get that canvas tent out, and you pull those ropes, and you, you drive that stake in that hard ground. You're trying to beat it, and you hit a root, and you got to move it over, and you're just trying to get comfortable. We get in. We get situated. Getting middle schoolers situated is a thing. We finally get everybody down, and all of a sudden, the wind starts howling. The rain starts coming, and it's pelting, and it's raining, and I tell my guys in my tent, I say, listen, guys, don't touch the tent. Don't touch the tent because it's, it'll just suck the water right through. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, Mr. Britt. Guess what? Guess what my middle schoolers did? Now we got leaks dripping on us coming through the tent. And, and, and I'm wondering, is the tent going to blow over? Because, I mean, the wind is howling. It just came through that canyon and just, I don't know, um, a Scirocco, maybe, if you will. It was, it was some kind of wind. But we wake up the next morning. It's muddy. I hadn't slept hardly at all. Just felt rugged. I mean, the next day in the trip home, it's just like you just got this headache and you just feel so rugged. And I think to myself, I bet there were many days that Abraham felt just like that. Dealing with a bunch of middle schoolers, picking up your tent, putting it back, heading, you know, let's go to a new place. God is leading us somewhere else. Why did he do that? Why did he leave everything that was comfortable and do that? Because God said to do it. So let me ask you a question this morning. Has God, has God been speaking to anybody here about moving, about following him, about being obedient? I'm not, I'm not talking about physically moving. I don't want anybody to move away, but maybe, maybe God's calling someone to do that. I don't know. But is God calling you to a deeper level of obedience, a deeper walk with him? Maybe you've kind of been resisting it because you don't know what that's going to look like. Obedience to God is going to change the course of your life. Some of us aren't ready for that change, of course. We kind of like it the way it is right now. But I want to encourage you. If God is calling you, you better do it. Because if you don't, you'll go backwards. You won't stay where you are. It's also worth noting in Genesis 12, when, when Abram received the call of God, he not only pitched his tent, but he built an altar to the Lord. The Bible says he built an altar to the Lord. What do you do at an altar? 
you worship. You worship the Lord. So God called Abram, leave everything. Leave your family, leave your country, leave everything that represents security, and I want you to go. Abraham believed God. He trusted God. He did it. And in so doing, he builds an altar, and he worshiped the Lord. He worshiped the Lord there, and that altar also served as a reminder of the call of God in his life. He lived as a stranger in a foreign country. Look at verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. It says this city that he was looking forward to had foundations. Does that sound like a tent to you? That sounds like something permanent, doesn't it? That sounds like something that you can sure enough uh, put all your weight down on. That's what he was looking forward to. Even though he was living in a tent, packing that thing up, going where God told him to go, putting it back down, setting up shop there for a day, a week, a month, who knows, and then God would, would call him to travel further. But he was looking forward to a city that had foundations. That sounds like something that's going to be around for a long time. So we now go from Abraham's faith in action, faith on the move, if you will. Now we go to the waiting room. Look at verse 11. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. I was mentioning my sermon to my wife uh, a couple of days ago, and I said, uh, I'm going to talk about the waiting room, Abraham, Abraham being in the, in the waiting room with all of this stuff. And she says, um, don't you dare say that the waiting room is harder than the delivery room. I said, uh, I may look dumb, but I ain't quite as dumb as I seem. Are you, you guys getting the, 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 refer, the musical references today? I ain't quite as dumb as I seem. No, the waiting room is not more difficult than the delivery room. But Tom Petty said waiting is the hardest part, did he not? Y'all go back and count these up. Genesis chapter 17, let's look at that again. Uh, Genesis 17. Sometimes we, we know these stories so well, we, we, we tend to forget. Genesis 17, the word of the Lord. This is verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Go to verse 15. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you will no longer call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her, and I will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her that she, so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come to her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? 
Those are good questions. Those are real good questions. He's 99 years old. God reappears to him. He doesn't just appear. He reappears to him. And he says, very soon, you're going to become a dad. And your wife is going to become a mom. And Abraham laughs. This is not the, the laughter of, of Sarah who, who just can't, can't believe it. But this is sort of a, sort of a nervous laugh. Because if, if you don't laugh, you would just start crying, you know? It's like, it's like God, I mean, are you, are, you, are you kidding me? I mean, look at me. Look at me. Look at her. And we're going to have a baby? Just, I, I can't believe it. This is unbelievable. There are 24 years They are 24 years into this waiting game where God, since God first made the promise. If you remember, Abram was 75 years old when God made the promise. So almost a quarter of a century has gone by. And then God reappears to him. And he says, everything's working just like I planned. Everything's moving right along. And so this, about this time next year, you're going to be a father. And Sarah's going to be a mother. 24 years after he makes the promise. The possibility of them having a child, humanly speaking, is long gone. But with God, all things are possible. All things. All things are possible. Listen to the Apostle Paul. This is Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. This is what the Apostle says. Beginning of verse 18, against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Look at this. I love this. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he has promised, what he promised. That is why it was credited to him as righteousness. That is faith. God had the power to do what he promised he would do. And Abraham believed that. Jesus said, I go and I prepare a place for you. I just take him at his word. And he said, if I go, I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to be with me. I take him at his word. Jesus is definitely coming back. How do I know that? Because he said so. He said so in his word. That's how I know. And it is as sure as the promise that was made to Abraham that took 25 years to be fulfilled. Why? 
because he who promised is faithful. Because he who promised is faithful. Oh, I want to hear you say that with me. Because he who promised is faithful. Say it again. Because he who promised is faithful. That's what Abraham trusted. He trusted that the God who made the promise would be faithful to keep the promise. But God always has a reason for his delays. 25 years. How do you stay focused? Well, they, they kind of got off track a little bit. You know, the whole Sarah and her handmaiden and Ishmael, all of that, you know. They kind of got side, sidetracked. But he, he still believed. He still trusted when God came to him. How was he able to hold on through all of that? Well, back in Genesis 17, we read where the Lord came to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me. When he, when he says, I am God Almighty, the Hebrew word for God Almighty there is El Shaddai. He says to Abraham, I am El Shaddai. Walk before me. Walk blameless before me. El Shaddai. El means God. And then Shaddai, is, it's a compound word in essence, that means God who is sufficient. So when, when you and I read, I am God Almighty, that, you know, we lose some things in the translation. In essence, what God was telling Abraham is, I am the God who is sufficient for everything that comes your way. Whatever comes before you, I am sufficient to take care of it. What an amazing promise that would be to Abraham, to hear God say that, to reassure him, whatever you're going through, whatever happens to you, whatever comes your way, I'm sufficient. I'm enough. You remember when the apostle Paul was praying to God, that he had this thorn in the flesh, and he says, oh God, remove this. Would you take this would you take this thorn from my flesh? I could, I could do so much more for the kingdom. My life would be so much easier if you would take away this thorn in the flesh. And what did God say to him? My grace is sufficient for you. What you need is me. You don't need the thorn removed. What you need is more of me. For Abraham to hear, I am the God who is sufficient. I'll take care of all of, your, all of your problems. I've got all of this. What an amazing promise. Look at verse 12. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. So God did keep his promise. He did exactly what he said he would do. Now we have... A summary statement. Look at verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. All these people were still living by faith when they died. Well, I assume he's talking about the folks that he's just 
been talking about when we've been going through and talking about, about Abel and, and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah. The context is so important. You remember at the end of chapter 10, it says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are of those who believe and are saved. So what he's writing to these original recipients, he said, we don't, we don't want to be those kind of people that shrink back and are destroyed. We want to be the people that believe, have faith. And then he gives them these people to look at. He says, look at their faith. Look at their devotion to God, even in the, the midst of some terrible, terrible situations. All of them were still living by faith when they died. Think about a man like Enoch. Think about what was happening in his day and his time. People were getting so evil. The thoughts, all of their thoughts continually were just evil. Noah, God literally wipes out everybody on the planet except Noah and his family. Why? Because everybody was so wicked. The thoughts of their mind and their hearts were continuously evil. And yet here you have a man named Noah who was righteous. What an example that is to us. What an example it was to those people that were reading this letter, those Hebrews that were struggling, who had, who had started to follow Jesus, but now they're tempted to turn back. They've lost their property. Their property was confiscated. They've, they've seen people thrown in prison. They themselves have been put in prison, some of them. And the writer is saying, hang in there. Don't give up. Think about these people. Think about their faith. All of them were still living by faith when they died, even though they never received the promise. But they were still trusting. They were still believing. What a tragedy that it would be for us to begin our journey of faith, begin it with a bang. I mean, really get off to a great start, only to fade in the end and not finish the race. What a tragedy that would be. Folks, we've got to run all the way to the finish line. We've got to sprint to the finish. I, I, I took a class last fall with my dear uh, friend, uh, Jerry Jones, preacher, not the Dallas Cowboys coach, another guy named Jerry Jones. He's, he's an author. He was head of the Bible department at Harding for years. Uh, a preacher, a teacher, a speaker. He and his wife do marriage counseling and then seminars all over the country, all over the world. I took a class with him, several other preachers back in the fall. And he's now writing a book over all of that material at the age of 85. And he said to us, us younger preachers, us young preachers, he said, guys, he says, I'm 84, I'm almost 85 years old. I don't know how much time I have left. I feel good. I feel pretty healthy. But he says, I don't know how much time I have left. But he says, this one thing I want to do, I want to sprint to the finish line. And this is a guy who's been sprinting his whole life. I, I look at his life and I think, oh, my goodness, if I just did a fraction of the things that he's done in the kingdom, it, it, would, be, it would be enormous. And he's thinking to myself, whatever time I got left, I just want to sprint to the finish line. I just want to sprint until I'm done. Better to wear out than rust out. The old saying, if you're green, you're growing. If you're ripe, you're rot. That is so true, guys. 
That is so true. Sometimes we get, we, we get to a point in our lives and we say, you know, I've been there, I've done that, I, I used to. I used to teach Sunday school, I used to do this, I used to, you know. No, I, I, some, our lives change, I understand that. We're all in different places as we get older. Sometimes health uh, slows us down a little bit. But we don't want to stop. We want to, we want to sprint to the finish line. We want to run all the way through the tape. You know, I've never been accused of being fast. When I was a kid playing sport, I love sport. Oh, I love sports so much. But I was I was slow. And um, my high school my high school coach, my high school basketball coach, he came to me one day. He said, "Rodney, you have everything that you need to play basketball at the next level, except for one thing." And I said, "What is that, coach?" He said, "Talent." Um, <laughs> you, you don't have enough talent. No, he didn't say that. But, but he was thinking it. I know he was. I was, I was slow. Um, I wasn't fast. If I were ever to run a race, I'd need, I'd need to sprint out really, really fast so that maybe at some point in the, in the race, they, they might say, there's Rodney Britt. He's taking an early lead because I'd be fading really fast after that. I've never been fast, and I've never had any endurance. That's not a good, that's not a good thing if you're, if you're trying to run a race physically. But when we're talking about a spiritual journey, it's not about how fast we get out. It's not about getting out of the block super fast. It's about putting one foot in front of the other. It's about keep, it's keep on keeping on. Just keep going. I have a guy that runs in our neighborhood. I say run. I, I think Paul and I could walk faster than he jogs. But he's out there just, just doing like this, just one foot in front of the other. That, that's sort of our spiritual journey. God doesn't, we don't all have to be sprinters. He just wants us to keep going, to finish, run through the tape. Look at verse 13. We've got to wrap this up. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on the earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. We, we sing the old song sometimes, this, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue, and the angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. The longer we walk with God, the more uncomfortable we should feel here on the earth. Now, there are still a lot of things that God wants us to enjoy. I mean, he's created this earth for us. There are beautiful sights to see, places to go. I'm not, I'm not talking about that, but, but you and I, the longer we walk with God, the less that this earth should attract us, the less that things should have a hold on us, almost to the point where there are times where we just, we just feel uncomfortable being here. I know, I know you felt that way at times, maybe in a certain situation, maybe at work. Somebody begins to tell a, a, a joke that's off-colored or, or not nice, or they, or they talk about what happened over the weekend and what they did and the things that they did, and you just start to feel, I, I, I don't want to hear that. You know, I, just, I don't want to be a part of that. That's, it's, it's an uncomfortable feeling, like you're the, you're the odd man out. You're the odd woman in the, in the bunch. That's the way we ought to feel. 
more and more as we continue this journey. Instead, verse 16, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And look at this. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. When you have faith, like what the Hebrew writer is describing for us, the kind of faith that doesn't waver, even though almost 25 years go by, the kind of faith that when God calls you to build a boat and it takes 50, 60, 75 years and people are laughing at you, that's the kind of faith, when you exhibit that kind of faith, the Bible says that God would not be ashamed to be called your God because of that kind of faith. Are you looking for a different country, a heavenly country? I think we get so enamored by our world. And there are, there are so many beautiful things to, to see. And um, Palo Duro Canyon, if you get a chance to go there, I'd, I'd encourage you to go. Don't take a middle schooler with you. But, but go and enjoy it. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But I want you to focus on things above, not on things below. There's a city with foundations, and the architect and builder is God. That's going to be a beautiful city. Don't you want to go to that land? Don't you want to go there? Don't you want to be a part of, of all these people that we're reading about? Are you living your life in such a way that if, if another letter to the Hebrews was written that your name could be in there. Man, I want to I I live that way. By faith, Rodney, he did such and such. He took a group of middle schoolers on a camping trip one time. I don't know what would be written, but, I, but I, I'd like to live my, my life in such a way that someone could say, by faith, that man lived his life. 